Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Second Peter chapter one with me. Um, it's been a really um, big blessing for my wife and I to come up to Watertown, come to Wisconsin, and get to know this school, get to know many of you guys. I'm still getting to know many of you. And um, so this morning, before I get started, I want to just say a little bit about me um, as it ties into our lesson. So um, I was raised, and I guess you would call it a Christian home. My mom tried to keep us in church every week. Um, my dad, um, he's not a pastor or anything. He's actually a refrigeration technician. So if you eat the soft serve ice cream in the, uh, in the D.C., Taylor Freezer's the brand on there. My dad has worked for them for over 30 years. I really didn't think that was cool because he kind of like comes home with grease on his clothes every day. Um, but a couple years ago, I was like three hours away, and I was talking to a guy, and he said, you know Arnold Diewald? He's your dad? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then um, like two years ago, my dad got like the Global Tech of the Year Award for Taylor Freezer, which I was like, oh, my dad is cool. Okay, neat. And so that was kind of neat. Um, but I was raised in, a, in, I guess, somewhat of a Christian home. My mom really didn't want um, her kids to have what she had and what my dad had. They were both raised by guys that were um, kind of old-style Navy alcoholics. I've got lots of aunts and uncles um, that I will never know um, in that way. And so my mom was like, I don't want that for my kids. And so she worked really hard to keep that out of our mind, to keep that um, out of our way, and just worked hard to keep us in truth. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but I have a sinful heart, like you do too. And so what I would do, um, I would go to my sister's room. She had this yellow wicker little dresser thing. And in the bottom drawer, she had gobstopper hearts. I don't think they make those anymore. Um, but anyway, she had gobstopper hearts. She had some perfume. I don't know why it was in the same thing, but when I stole her gobstopper hearts, they always tasted weird. So I would steal them, and then I would go eat them. And then she would say, where's my stuff? You stole it. And then I would say, I think I found it under the car. Like every time. At four years old, I couldn't make up many lies. So that was kind of where I was. And so then my sister, she was 12 years older than me, she would grab me by the hair, when I had hair, she would grab me by the hair, and she would hold me and start punching me. And so um, that was just kind of what we did a couple times a week, it was kind of our bonding thing. And, and so um, one time my mom, she said, Luke, come out here. And so I, it didn't sound like a rescue, but I guess it sort of was. And she came to me and she told me, she said, Luke, you're stealing, you're lying, that's an offense against God. You are sinning against God, and you know what sin does. I already knew about Jesus. I knew he was a, a good. I knew about God. I knew about his death on the cross. But there, that day, my mom showed me um, from the word of God that I deserve to die and go to hell. And um, so I got saved that day. It was such a, she told me about how um, I deserve to die and go to hell. She told me how Jesus died on the cross for my sin. She told me how if I repented of my sin, that he would help me to overcome my sin, and I wanted that. So that day I, I repented, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And he started to help me with my stealing and my lying. That doesn't sound like a dramatic testimony, but it's a, he made a change in my life that I was able to see. So about a year later, my mom, she used to send out those like family letters. You guys ever see those that your parents maybe did or your grandparents did? So she was sending out one of those family letters, and I was reading it. I was learning to read, and she said, please pray for Luke's salvation. I was so mad at her so mad at her. I was like, Mom, you just led me to the Lord like last year. And she said, well, you don't act like it. And um, that's something that really like it went to the core of my soul. Um, I, I didn't know that I had to act like it. And so um, nobody ever taught me about progressive sanctification. No one ever taught me that I had to do anything. I got saved. I was going to heaven. I stopped lying. I stopped stealing as much. I mean, I thought it was good. And so from then on, Actually, for about the next 15 years, I doubted my salvation. I probably prayed the, pray the prayer probably thousands of times that I prayed the prayer um, because I wasn't acting like one. Anytime I yelled, anytime I screamed, anytime I hurt my brothers, well, you're not acting like a Christian. And it really kind of like messed with me. 
And so I thought, okay, well, I need to pray again. Maybe I need to lay on my bed and empty myself of all my sin and just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me. That didn't work. Uh, Maybe I need to read my Bible a lot. That didn't make me stop being a bad guy. Um, So it really kind of just started getting really frustrating. And so when I was about 13 years old, a guy came into my life. He was actually a band teacher in my marching band in a public school. And he saw my family, saw the church we were going to, and he wanted to come and be a part of what was going on because he saw my brother and I, we had a little bit different character from some of the rest of the students. And so he came to our church. He actually became our youth pastor, and he started teaching us about the Word of God, about the importance of doing our devotions. And I started reading my Bible in a way that actually worked, (laughs) actually started to understand some things, actually seeing God working in my life. And that was so great. I still had some sin that I was hiding, um, but, but God began to work on that with me. And as I saw that, I said, I want to grow. And I remembered a certain guy that I knew. It was actually my, my older brother. And I wanted to be just like him because I knew that he was respected in his youth group. And I wanted to be like him. And so I said, okay, I'm going to set my hopes on him. I'm going to be like him. Then about a year or two later, he came home and let us know that, he, um, that his girlfriend was pregnant. And for some reason, I was setting my hopes on him instead of God. And so I just went into the deepest spiral went to the deepest spiral up until one time in the youth class about three months later um, I heard, you know, there's someone just talking about the truth that your focus has to be on God and you have to let God change you and so that began me back on its steps towards getting back, towards following God to, to deciding to pursue Him well, I went to Bible college um, I went initially for a missionary aviation degree at Piedmont and um, I got there and I found out that um, you know, being a kid and seven ki- uh, parents with seven kids in their family, taking all the loans I could, you can't really pay for flight lessons on that. So I quickly changed, and I went to biblical studies because I was told that's where I could study the Word of God, of God the best, and that's what I wanted to do. Well, I continued a little bit of the struggle. I was still, maybe a couple times a month, if I would mess up, I would go try to pray the prayer again, try to see what I did wrong, see where I could get God to fill me, where to do something, to give me the fruitful Christian life that he had promised that we could have. And I was on my pastoral internship in, in the state of New York, and a guy um, was there, and I just came to him. I mean, I had, I had been reading the Bible like crazy. I remember, like, I'm going to read the whole book of Hebrews in one morning, so maybe God will do something then. I just came to him, and I said, I don't want God. I want to want God, but I don't. And, like, I started to, like, pour out my heart to him, and he was just like, oh, that's because you're not doing active study. And I was like, no, you need to listen to me pour out my sob story here. And he's like, no. You need to study the Word of God for real. You need to stop just letting it drip through. And it reminds me now of a quote that George Mueller said. He said, you know, um, when you're just letting the Word of God flow through your mind like a pipe, it's not doing much. You need to take time to chew and meditate on it. And I followed um, this pastor's advice, and I began to see God work on my life, begin to see him produce growth in my life. And as I was studying, I came across um, this chapter in Second Peter And um, it's funny because I didn't know it was a popular Christian growth passage at the time. I just knew that it was like, whoa, this is what I need. And so this is one of the things that I come to as I want to study this out and talk about it a little bit today. Um, You know um, from John chapter 10 and verse 10 that Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And the thing that I struggled with for so many years is, yeah, but how? I was in a Christian home. We went to church every Sunday. I read my Bible a lot. I prayed the prayer a lot. I went to Bible college. Uh, What in the world? (laughs) This isn't working. And here I found a way um, to understand a few more things about this. So I want to study this um, this morning as we come to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
And I just want to encourage you that you can have a fruitful Christian life. And I can click. Okay. So let's look at this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to take just a second and just look at this. Let's consider Peter for a second. You guys know the stories from the Gospels. You know that he was the guy that stuck his foot in his mouth. You know that he was the guy that, um, that walked on water. You know that he was the guy that um, denied Christ. You know that he was the guy that tried to get Jesus not to die on the cross. Um, you know that he was the guy that was always vying for second place with James and John. So it's just a really interesting thing for him to say. The first, the first thing that he says about himself is, I'm a servant. Um, you guys that have studied Greek um, know that this would be more like a slave um, whose, whose life, their purpose, their provision is all guided by their master. And so it's an interesting thing for me for Peter, instead of saying, I want to be the second over the whole world, now he's saying, I'm a slave. And he seems to be pretty content with that. He's also an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's one that's sent. He's like an ambassador. He's, uh, he's um, one that's sent with a message. Um, he's one of the 12. You guys know this. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But let's, as we think about who he is, that's something probably more that these people would have uh, thought about him. You know, when you think about your pastor, you probably don't know all the goofy things he did in the dorm, you know, back the, in the day. You probably think about, if you like him, you probably think about some of the good things he's done, right? So Peter, he was the guy that um, preached the, the sermon in Acts 2, and 3,000 people were saved. He was the guy that walked out there in the next chapter and reached down to the lame man, and, um, and said, I don't have any money, but I can offer you Jesus. <laughs> Stand up and, be wa- and, and, and walk. And then um, he was, had the opportunity, based on that, to preach, and 5,000 people were saved. Right as he was giving the invitation, he got put in jail. And you know, he went there that night, and the angel let him out to go preach some more. And the guys were like, no, 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 we need to talk to you. We put you in jail because we need to talk to you. So he had to come back before the council, and they said, stop, stop preaching the gospel. And his response was so humble and so compliant. He said, should we obey God or you? Uh, we're going to go back out and preach some more. So then he left and he did that. You know, um, in the next chapter, Ananias and Sapphira, he was the guy with the, you know, who knew about their sin and said, hey, Ananias, um, did you lie to us? Did you uh, actually give all this money that you said you gave? Yeah. It's like, well, you're going to die now um, for lying. And that happened again with Sapphira. And then, um, you know, uh, what happened next, okay? There was fear. There was people being saved. There were things going on. And so they came, they put him in jail again, or they came to talk to him again. And he said, look, I'm going to preach. And they said, didn't we tell you to stop? In Acts 5.19, he said, is it better for me to obey God or man? By the way, I'm going to preach the gospel to you right now. He was kind of a bold guy, and these people respected that. And so as we think about some of the things with Peter, we could go several things that they remember, but his audience would have known of him as a guy who was in touch with God, who had the power of God, who God had used. And so they would want to listen to him. And I hope we do too today. So let's come to this. Um, So he's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is one of the things that when I was studying this out for the first time, it like refreshed me, it broke my heart, made me angry, made me excited all at the same time. To those who have obtained a like precious faith with us, I thought that I was a broken Christian. 
I thought it wasn't working for me. I thought other people had a little bit more Jesus. I thought that there might be a second feeling coming. But he says right here, to them that have obtained a like precious faith. Peter is saying, you have the same thing I have. You have just as much Jesus as I have. You have just as much potential as I have. And that was such an encouragement to me. Like I said, it made me a little bit angry because I'm like, well, then what have I been doing all these years? Why didn't anybody tell me? And so it was just such an encouragement to find that. You know, um, I was not really raised in Pentecostalism, but it was kind of, a, you know, attributed there, the idea of a second baptism, second filling, or kind of thing there. But Ephesians 4 um, says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And if you're saved today, you have that. You have what you need. And so that was so, just such an encouragement to me to find out. So he's writing to people, and he's also encouraging to them, encouraging them that they have what they need here. So let's look in here a little bit more. Let's come to verse 3. According as this divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's coming to them, and he's really just laying this foundation, as we've been looking at here, this foundation for Christian discipline, this foundation if you want to have a fruitful and rewarding Christian life. He says right here that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us that. When we stop and think just for a second about the power of God, we know that he's the God that created everything. Um, Hebrews 11.3 tells us, by faith we understand that the worlds were made out of nothing. Um, we can think, we know that he is the God that, um, that raised Jesus from the dead. We see that in Romans chapter 4, that he was declared to be the Son of God with power by that. We know, according to Colossians 1.16, that Jesus is the one that made the world. And we also know that it's him. It says, by him, all things consist. He's actually holding it together. He's making your heart beat right now. He's allowing your lungs to breathe right now. Um, so we know that about him. We know that about his power. We also know, um, it's interesting to me, when I go to, to Psalm 139 and verse 13, it says um, that you possessed my reins. Reigns is the, the word there, um, if you studied it out, is, is the word kidneys. God's held your guts, okay? He's powerful enough to create the whole world, but he's concerned with your intestines. That's kind of weird. But he, he, he knows every detail about you, and he cares about it all, according to Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. He cares about you, and he is not limited in power in the great or the small. And then we come, and as we consider maybe passages that you already know from Ephesians chapter 1, chapter, chapter 3, that that same power, that same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that he's working in you in, that he's helping you, to, is available to you to live this Christian life. So we're so thankful for that power. So think about that divine power that he's used to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Again, this is one of those things, it's mind-blowing when you stop there and say, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that I need for my Christian life, he has already provided. I don't need to pray some special prayer. I don't need to go and get next to um, a really spiritual guy to see if some of it will roll off on me. I don't need to, whatever else. I have resources available. Everything that I need for life and godliness. Um, you can think of this and maybe tie it in your mind to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable, it's useful, it actually works for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, to show me where I'm wrong, for correction, to show me actually how I can get right, for instruction in righteousness, so that I can continue to progress in my sanctification to become more like Christ, that the man of God may be perfect, 
thoroughly furnished, equipped for every good work. God's given me that in his word. He's given me his spirit. He's given me other believers. He's given me my local church. He's brought things into my life to shape me, some trials that he wants to use to bring me to, to depend on him more. And he wants me to use those resources. Now, okay, so we see here, it says, divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Now, this word, um, this knowledge, yeah, we can get knowledge from the word of God, and that's specifically it, but it also is this complete knowledge as we know God's word and interact with him and build this relationship with him. And our relationship with the Lord, based on his word, based on truth, um, we have the power to do the Christian life by him that's called us to his glory and virtue. And then we see here, whereby by those things are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Okay, so that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Having done, it's a past thing if you're a believer here today, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now you guys already know the passages like Romans 6, you know um, Ephesians 4, these other things. It doesn't feel like I've escaped Sometimes it feels like they've got a hold on me. Sometimes it feels like there's no way out. But he tells us, he declares right here, you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts, through your deceitful lusts that war against your soul, through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You don't have to be entrapped by those. Romans 6 has already told us that. And so that's such a blessing, such an encouragement. So on this foundation, you have, if you're a believer here today, you have a like precious faith. There's no believer that has a little bit more Jesus than you, a little bit more spirit. You have all the resources available to do life and godliness. You have all the resources you need to be the Christian that God wants you to be, to have a fruitful Christian life, no matter where you are, to experience the fruit of the spirit in a real and vibrant way. You have that. So let's go on to this and look at this just a little bit. The process of Christian discipline. Now here it says... um, and besides this, now when I say besides, that's for me, like, because I'm a little bit of a bubble thinker, an organic guy. When I say besides, I'm like saying, I'm done talking about that. Let's talk about something else. When he says besides this, he's saying built on this, in addition to this, set on this foundation. You can't do the process of Christian discipline apart from having the Christian life, apart from having God's power. You can't do it apart from the resources he's provided. So what he's about to say here is built on that foundation, is built on the foundation of our salvation and on the resources, on his word, on his spirit, on the other believers. And so because, but because we have those, we can. So let's look at this just a little bit. Besides this, Giving all diligence. Now, there are a lot of words there, and I decided to try not to say any Greek words because nobody knows how to pronounce those. And when we do, we all, like, look up each other's stuff in the Greek or in Blue Letter Bible. So let's just try this. Giving all diligence. You need to bring something to this, is the idea. Giving. Now, this is something that can scare us just a little bit because um, I can't work for my salvation. I can't necessarily work for my sanctification, but I do participate in it. Giving all diligence. The idea there is, is, um, is bringing in something beside, bringing in something that basically you've got this from the Lord, you need to participate in this. Now, all diligence is the idea that you need to work really, really, really hard at this. This should be your focus. Um, this should be your passion. This should be what you are zealous for. This should be what you think about when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. This should be what you think about whether you eat or whether you drink, doing all for the glory of God. You should be giving your all to this, he says. So besides this, giving, you're, you're contributing, all diligence. Now this word add, it just isn't fair here. Um, so it's the, the idea of, um, it comes from a word um, for choreograph. 
Now, I'm not talking about um, like dance class, or I guess here we might call it step instruction. Um, so you guys got that good. Um, I'm not talking about the, a choreographer basically back then would be the, like the producer. They would be the guy that got all the actors together. They would be the guy that, that paid them. They would be the guy that provided them a place to stay. And so he's saying, um, I want you to choreograph. I want you to provide. I want you to supply something. You are adding, okay? On top of what, because of what you have, you are adding, giving all diligence. Add to your faith. You have this salvation in Christ, virtue. Now, this is a fun word because virtue kind of is based on a word that talks about manliness, like a warrior, like a fighter, like a powerful person. But then it kind of came to mean the result of their work, okay? Someone who um, invests a lot, who is a great athlete or a great warrior, um, they come to be a valiant person. They come to have valor. They come to have respect. They come to have moral excellence or excellency in what they do. And so when he says to add to your faith virtue, is it talking more about the giving it a, your all part or being excellent? Well, kind of both. Kind of both. So um, this is one thing that's an awesome thing to me. When I find a new Christian or someone who hasn't been trained a lot, um, and I come to them and I, and I witness them and they get saved, or maybe someone who was like saved and walked away from the church for a little while, and they come back to truth, and I'm discipling them. They want to know. They want to know. They want to do this. They want to serve. They want to grow. They don't care, um, necessarily, if there's an additional um, guideline that they didn't like. That's not the issue. They want to pursue Christ. They want to know, what can I do? What can I do? I want to give more. That's such a refreshing thing. But some of us weren't, aren't new Christians that kind of just came in off the street and found out that God loves us and, and did something different. Some of us have been raised in Christian homes, and we've seen some inconsistencies. Some of us have seen um, inconsistencies in churches. Some of us have seen inconsistencies in pastors. Some of us have just not felt cared about. My first time in a pastor's home, I was 16 years old. He needed somebody to move a chair from his basement to his living room, so we did that, and we were out in five minutes. My first and only time having a pastor in my house as a kid I think I was seven years old, and a pastor stopped by. He drove 45 minutes, which was nice of him, to drop off some food and left as quick as he could. Um, I thought that there was some special aura. Remember back then, I kind of thought I didn't have all the Jesus that they had. And so I just kind of wondered why we weren't special enough and why they wouldn't connect with us. That didn't make me very passionate about being what, part of what they had. So it's kind of a weird thing to come to someone who's like, well, you know, you're talking about all this excitement in the Christian life, Luke, but uh, I kind of see how Christians act sometimes, and it's not that exciting. Well, he, remember what I told you just a few minutes ago, when I tried to set my eyes on someone else, it, it made me crash. He's not asking for someone else to be your foundation. He's asking for the fact that you have salvation in Christ. He's asking for the fact that you have everything that you need for life and godliness, for the hope you have in heaven. He's asking for that to be the reason that you give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. But then he says, he comes in here and he says, to add to your virtue knowledge. Okay, we get that from the word of God. If we had time, we would look. There's things all over the place about adding knowledge. Paul prayed this for his people. Almost every book that he wrote, you see this in Galatians, you see this in Philippians, you see this in Ephesians, you see that he wants them to grow in knowledge. You find Proverbs 2, chapter 1, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when he says that he wants them to continue to grow, to continue to pursue knowledge, to pray and to seek it and to study his word. And he says, you'll get it. You'll find the knowledge of God. He says, this should be the pursuit of our life. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, when he says, 
Don't glory in your wisdom. Don't boast in your might. Glory in this, that you understand and know the word of God, that you know God by knowing the word of God. So we have this idea that, that we should add knowledge. That comes as we study and chew on the word of God, just like that pastor told me when I was on my internship. You need to actively study this. So he says to be diligent, to add to your knowledge, temperance. We could interpret that as self-control. As I, become to, as I come to know more about God, as I come to know more about what he wants me to be, as I come to know more about what he wants me to do, I decide to do that. Well, that's self-control. But then he says um, to add to your temperance, patience. We could say this is endurance. We could think of some of the cross-country runners. Um, we could think of them. I don't want to practice with them. You know, I, I was there about three years, uh, five years ago, I was with a friend, and I ran three miles of his 12 with him, and then I just started throwing up. And then I decided, you know, Proverbs says, you guys have known this, this is a dad joke, but it says that the guilty flee when no man pursues, right? And so I said, okay, I'm just going to keep a clean conscience, and then I won't have to run. Um, so, um, so the idea there is, is, is perseverance. The, that God wants us to continue to per- persevere, that he wants us to continue to run, that we take our self-control and then we keep doing it. And you guys know this, um, you know, there's some times in your Christian life when you're like, okay, I need to read my Bible. So you read your Bible, you see the fruit of it, and you're like, that, that's great, I did that. And then, like, you kind of, like, get off, and then you're not this fruitful Christian, you're like, well, I tried reading my Bible, and I'm not a fruitful Christian, so that doesn't work. No, 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 it doesn't work because you're not doing it. Um, it doesn't work because you're not grow, you're not participating, and, and you might need some help. This is, he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness, but that might me- mean that you get involved with a mentor who can help you, coach you through this. So he says to be diligent, to add to um, your knowledge, temperance, to your temperance, self-control. Now I want you to catch this. He says when we add to our, our patience, I'm so sorry, uh, perseverance or patience there, godliness. As you continue to practice godly character, you become godly. Um, you become like God in his qualities. You become a, pers- a person with character, and we could compare Romans 5 there if we had time. But we look in verse 7. We add to our godliness brotherly love, and to brotherly love, or brotherly kindness, charity, or love. Now, we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, But I want to just say something here because sometimes I'm really critical of people who aren't very loving. But he says, to add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control perseverance, to your perseverance godliness, to your godliness brotherly love. Huh. You can be growing in godliness and still need to grow in love. That's an interesting thing just to kind of stick in there. We could unpack it if we had time, but we won't right now. But this brotherly love, I can love those that are are part of me. As I think of 1 John 4.12 as I think of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, that they will know me by your love. They will know that you're my disciples by your love. But then he says, to add to your brotherly love, charity, or this agape love. And you guys could think of 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. You could think of some other passages. But I want to just look here just in our last couple minutes. He says in verse 8, for if these things that we've just listed are in you, if they are abounding, okay, if you are abundantly supplying them, they will make you that you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the Christian life, nor unfruitful in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a fruitful Christian, and you should be, based on what he's given us, based on this process. I guess we should go on to the next slide. But he that lacketh these things, he that decides, hey, I'm not going to do that. I don't have time for that. I don't really feel motivated 
for that, I don't think it's going to work. He that lacks these things is blind. He's insensitive. He cannot see afar off. He's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Remember when we, were, when we have been escaped, the corruption that's in the world? He forgot about that. Remember how I told you I doubted my salvation so many times? I expect that from someone who's not living a Christian life. I expect them to doubt their salvation. Because that assurance comes as we bear fruit. If we're not bearing fruit, it's easy to doubt. So he comes and he says, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You can live a Christian life that is, that is fruitful. You can live a, a Christian life that um, actually is vibrant. You can Christ- live a Christian life that is abundant, like Jesus said. But it's kind of up to you whether you decide to come in and supply these things based on truth. But then he says here in verse 11, For so an entrance will come here. For so an entrance will be abundantly ministered unto you, unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That choreography that we're supposed to add and bring this, that's the same word he used right here. It's going to be choreographed back to you. It's going to be added back to you. It's going to be supplied back to you in abundance. So he comes here and he he reminds us um, that we can do this. Now, I want to put this out here because it's, this can seem insensitive to someone who's struggling in their Christian life. This isn't something that happens in a day. This isn't something that happens in a year. This is your whole Christian life. This is something you might need to get help with. This is something, if you're struggling, you might need to ask somebody about. This is what we're here for. But it's something that you can have this abundant life. Now, it's an, uh, just throwing in here, it's up to you, though. You, don't, you won't automatically have an abundant Christian life. You won't automatically have this fruitful life. That is your choice. Now, I have to throw this in just in case they decide to go to uh, Second Peter next semester. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as your Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So he says, I'm going to die soon. And I know I've already told you guys this, but I'm telling you again. And guess what? I'm going to tell you again until I die. So if you've heard this before, meditate on it again today. If you're hearing it for the first time, take some time to dig into this. If somebody preaches on it again, take some time and chew on it and say, I can have a fruitful Christian life. And I want to choose to do that. I want to encourage you guys to do that, especially in the middle of the semester when it's easy to start letting homework take the place of devos. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we pray that you would help us to be willing to take the steps to be disciplined believers who have fruitful Christian lives so you can be glorified in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.